if you're looking at your notes, I want you to know that I had fully anticipated making it through verses 3 and 4. However, despite my best efforts, we're going to make it through the first half of verse 3 this morning. And then, Lord willing, next week, actually get through verse 4. Before we do, I want to show you something, and no doubt some of you have already seen this, a couple of you already brought me copies, but I've already had about a dozen copies sent to me this week. I don't read the Daily Breeze, but I got this in, the, in, the, in my, uh, my box this week. Uh, in the Life and Art section, there's a big article on the uh, <clears throat> Christ the King Lutheran Church in Torrance says it's home to Southern California's only permanent labyrinth. Did I talk to you about labyrinth a couple weeks ago? I didn't? I think I did. Remember we were talking about pantheism and New Age practices and uh, how they are more and more and more prevalent in the church? Here's one, right in the South Bay. Walking a labyrinth. Now let me tell you what a labyrinth is. Now, this all seems so harmless, it all seems, seems, you know, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is what? Death. So we can't be fooled by these things. This is just Eastern mysticism, translated into a, into a modern form. Labyrinth. The circle represents wholeness, and the pattern is said to balance energies. Oh, isn't that interesting? I need my energies balanced. So I'm going to walk a labyrinth. There are no dead ends, only an unbroken path with one way in and one way out. seems to me that somebody else says there's only one way, and he is the way. There are about 70 switchback turns that lead to the center. Now, you're going to like this. The center of this thing is believed to be a source of wisdom and enlightenment. So I walk the labyrinth, making all these switchbacks to finally get to the center, and when I reach the center, it's a place of meditation where I find wisdom and enlightenment. Hmm. The flower-shaped center, a place for meditation, is characterized by six round petals representing mineral, plant, animal, angelic, and mysterious. The scalloped edges around the labyrinth are lunations, lunations of the lunar calendar, worshiping the moon. Let me read to you the last paragraph in this thing. It's just incredible. This is a lady who has five years of labyrinth training. More than a dozen women turned out for the most recent class, soul to soul, S-O-L-E to S-O-U-L. That's called the training. That's the class, soul-to-soul soul training. Walking the labyrinth. Some said they came out of curiosity. None had ever walked the labyrinth before. 
Scholl says, this is the ladies, the evening's leader, began with the history of the labyrinth and its symbolism. The spiral pattern resonates deeply with human beings throughout the ages. And the circle represents wholeness, much like Japanese rock gardens or homes arranged according to Feng Shui. The labyrinth's pattern alone is said to balance energies. This is in a Christian church. She says, there is a deep spiritual hunger in our culture. I said that. (laughs) One of the attractions is that it's really simple. The simplicity of walking, breathing, and trusting our deep inner wisdom. You can bring integration of the body and mind and spirit through the very act of walking. So I just thought I'd show you. It is there. This is the very first one in the South Bay. I guarantee you, you'll be seeing this showing up in more churches in the South Bay who are not committed, not committed to a strict biblical understanding and interpretation. You will find this happening in more churches and more Christians who are uneducated in the Scriptures and in the truth of the Bible are going to fall for this stuff. Christ the, Christ the King Lutheran Church over in Torrance. Martin Luther is rolling over in his grave. Christ the King Lutheran Church. Okay? Word to the wise, amen? Okay, let's read Second Peter chapter 1, first four verses, and then we're going to begin to focus on verse 3. We are talking about knowing our salvation. How many remember that? Knowing our salvation. The question is, do I, not, it's not that I just know that I'm saved. Do you know what salvation is about? Do you know who is the source of your salvation? Do you know what is the substance of your salvation? And do you know the sufficiency of your salvation? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Salvation is not just, well, I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven. God saved me from hell, forgave my sins. Salvation is far more than that. Salvation is all-encompassing. When God saves you, God saves you. And He gives you a whole new life. That's what we want to talk about this morning. So read with me. Peter again in his introduction, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Beloved, we have a precious faith given to us from God. Verse 2, he says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Not walking a labyrinth. Not trying to find some inner meaning. Grace and peace be yours. How? Through what? The knowledge of God. The knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Not only the knowledge about God, but personal, relational knowledge. And then verses 3 and 4. These verses, uh, beloved, are, are an absolute mouthful and mindful of truth. They are incredible verses. Two of the most fantastic, substantial verses in the Bible, if you will. 
His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We are going over the next couple of weeks, we are going to unwrap those two verses. We're going to mine the riches in those verses and we're still not going to exhaust them. There's so much there. But first, a basic realization. Something I think all of us just know. Life in general is not easy. Would you agree? Life in general is not easy. None of us, including Christians, excuse me, none of us escapes the troubles in life as we live in these sinful bodies, as we live in this fallen world. You can expect trouble, you can expect difficulty, you can expect trial as long as we live in these fallen bodies, as long as we live on this fallen planet. All of us have to deal with temptation. All of us deal with sin, failure, disappointment, rejection, frustration, unfulfillment, weakness, pain, sorrow, loneliness, fear, anxiety, alienation. All of that comes to all of us in varying forms, doesn't it? It's all a part of our life experience. So if I can say it again, life in general is not easy. But the question is this. Where do we go to find resources to deal with all of that? Do I find my resources in the New Age? Do I find my resources meditating on crystals? Do I find my resources walking a labyrinth? Where do I find resources? Where do I get the resources, the strength, the, the, the ability to deal effectively, not only effectively, but triumphantly with the issues of life that are very, very real? These things are not imaginary. Disappointment is real. Frustration is real. Discouragement is real. And we have to deal with those things. But where do we go to solve these, these very real issues of life? Can we go to God, really? Does God care, really? There are a lot of people who doubt that God really cares. They will say it. They say, well, I know, I know. It's kind of like being politically correct, you know. You say one thing, but you really believe something else. Do I really, really believe God cares? There's a lot of people, excuse me, and even some Christians, professing Christians, who have what's called a deistic view of God. That means they believe in God, but God, very simply, uh, is, is largely uninvolved with his creation. He created it all, set it all up, uh, designed laws for it to run by and so forth, and then he just kind of stepped back and uh, just kind of looks on in a disinterested manner. doesn't really involve himself. There are lots and lots of people who feel that way, and again, even some people in the church, though they may not acknowledge that. There are any of us at some time, in the midst of some trial, some difficulty, praying and not getting an answer, not seeing any change in our situation. We wonder, does God know? Does God care? Don't we say that? We wonder that. When, in fact, the Bible tells us that he does care. And he is intimately involved in spite of our apparent experience. The question is also, Are we 
Are we sufficient in Christ? That's what I want to focus on this morning. Are we sufficient in Christ? Or are the psychologists right? They say, okay, well, it's good that you believe in God. It's, it's good that you have God. It's good that you have Jesus in your life. Um, it's good that you read your Bible, but you're still inadequate and you still need therapy. Are the psychologists right? And then there are the religionists. The religionists who would say, well, that's good that you have God. It's good that you believe in Jesus, but you see you need more of Jesus. You don't have enough of Jesus. In fact, we used to sing a song like that, have more of Jesus in your life. And I told Alan, that is lousy theology. We have all of Jesus in us. Beloved, when you got born again and you received the Holy Spirit, you did not receive a stripped-down version of the Holy Spirit. You got the Holy Spirit with all of the accessories. Everything he's got. He comes and lives in you with everything he's got. He doesn't come and leave part of the stuff back in heaven. Do you know that? You got Jesus by the Spirit of God, with everything he has to give you. You don't need more of Jesus. You've got all of Jesus that God can give you. You must understand that. And yet, we need more of Jesus, we're told. Or we need some special anointing. Or we need, we need another blessing. We need, something, we need something more. May I suggest to you, that's fantasy. You don't need something more. When you got born again... You got Jesus, the fullness thereof, and we'll see it in the scriptures this morning. We'll see what the Bible says. Mark that. But the question is, are all these people right? If we know God, has God just given us a small dose of supernatural grace, barely enough to get by, barely enough to squeak by? Maybe enough grace to save us, but not enough grace to sanctify us to make us into what we're supposed to be, more and more like Jesus. He just, did he just give us enough grace to save us and not enough to sanctify us? Or maybe he gave us enough grace to save us and sanctify us, but not enough grace to glorify us. Has he given us everything we need? Some people would say no. If we come to God through Christ, are we really sufficient? Or is there more? Is there more? Are we really sufficient, or is there more? Now, as a little background, we have to know something about God, and so we're going to look at a little bit of a little bit of a, a, a study in terms of the character of God. You've got to know something about His character, and one particular uh, facet of His character I want to talk about is His generosity. His generosity. There's, again, a lot of people who question the fact, is God generous? Does he get us just barely out of hell, or does he give us enough for everything? Well, let's look what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about God and his generosity? The first verse we're going to look at is Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. This is a first-person assessment of his character. This is God talking about himself. If you're ever tempted to doubt God, if you're ever tempted to think he's unfair, unjust, or he does something wrong, uh, in your mind he's, 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 uh, he's, uh, he's uh, not fair, always go back to his character. And this is a classic passage. Moses had told God, I want to see you. God says, no man can see me and live, but I'll put you up here in the rock. 
I'll pass by. I'll put my hand in front. You'll see my glory as I pass by. And then as God passed by in front of Moses, God proclaimed who he was. He, 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 he characterized himself. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. What is God abounding in? Love and faithfulness. Is he gracious and compassionate? Aren't you glad he's slow to anger? This is who he is. So this is how God declares himself. First person assessment of his own character. The book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Tremendous passage. I love this passage. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Aren't you glad of that? For his compassions never, what? They are new every morning. Small is your faithfulness. Is that what it says? No, it says what? Great is your faithfulness. Let me read to you Psalm 121. In fact, I want you to turn there because they're not going to put it up on the screen. Psalm 121, page 633. Listen to the psalmist. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Who needs help? Anybody need any help today? Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You can't get any greater help. Any greater helper. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is, is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. What does that say? He will take care of everything, beloved, absolutely everything. Somebody say, hallelujah. He will take care of absolutely everything. Isn't that glorious? Is he good? Is he generous? Is he gracious? In, in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 16, John says this, speaking of the fullness, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received, now note this, we have all received one blessing after another from the fullness of His grace. Is God generous? Yes. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have a little bit of it. Is that what He said? No. What did He say? Have it to the full I've come that you should have life to the full. Not meagerly. Not just, I, I didn't come that you should just, just have kind of squeak by. I came that you should have life to the full. How many want life to the full? Absolutely. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Mark this. The Apostle Paul says, we're not just heirs, but we're co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. Equal heirs with Christ. Heirs over what? All that God has. <laughs> All that God has. All that God gives to Christ, we are co-heirs with Him. Imagine that. How many have trouble balancing their checkbook? <laughs> You're going to rule and reign with Christ over everything. Isn't that glorious? 
But guess what? You'll be ready to do it. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to turn there because there's some verses here that are very important. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the last part of verse 21. Paul says this. Now notice, he's writing to the Corinthians. Were the Corinthians noted as a church who kind of really had it together, were mature, had no problems, weren't disobedient in any area? No, they had problems all over the map. They were a very problematic church to Paul, and they were disobedient in many ways. Very, very prideful. Very foolish. But nonetheless, Paul says to them this at the end of verse 21. All things are yours. All things are yours. You see, it is the nature of God to be generous. It is the nature of God to be generous. And when He gives salvation... He gives salvation in its fullest extent. It is the fullness of salvation He gives. It is grace upon grace. It is mercy upon mercy. It is all that God can give. All things are yours. Now notice verse 22. He says, Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. He says, he says, Paul belongs to you, Apollos belongs to you, Cephas belongs to you, all the great teachers, the world is yours, life is yours, even death is yours, things present, things future, all are yours. Is God generous? Has He given us everything? He says, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. You are of Christ, and just like Christ is of God, we are of Christ. I mean, try to get your mind around that one. We're all wrapped up in whatever God and Christ possess. We possess. We possess. We possess the world, he says. God made it for us. We possess life, spiritual life, eternal life in Christ. We possess death. You say, what does that mean? To die is gain. We possess even death. We possess the present. Everything. Everything in this life. All to be worked together for our what? Our good. We possess it. We possess the future. Already. We're seated in heavenly places, we're told. Eternal rewards. The glories of heaven. The new heaven. The new earth. The millennial kingdom. We possess it all. We possess it all. We belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God. Beloved, it's all wrapped up in the same package. Imagine that. Is God generous? Is God gracious? You can understand now, in retrospect, why Paul writes what he does in, in, first, uh, in first Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, when he says what? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived of what God has prepared for those who love him. Oh my gosh, beloved. Listen to this, listen. How many have heard this? You, that we use, even the best of us, use at the most 10% of our brain at any given time. You ever heard that? 10% of our brain at any given time. Now with some of us, that's apparent. Most of us, not necessarily. <laughs> 
but, but follow, follow my logic here. If you use only 10% of your brain, I can tell you right now that you and I only use a very, very, very minute portion of all the grace that is ours in Christ. You say, how can I get more of that grace? How can I access, access more of that grace? I'm going to tell you. Aren't you excited? Your eye hasn't yet seen it. Your ear hasn't yet heard it. Your heart hasn't yet conceived of all that the Lord has granted you in Christ. We haven't even begun to understand it. But He's granted us all things in Christ. This is why it's so exciting to be a Christian. When you begin to understand salvation... When you begin to know your salvation and all that it encompasses, it's mind-blowing. As a Christian, you don't just say, well, I'm just saved from hell, I'm saved from my sin, God's forgiven my sins, and that's it. No, no, no. It encompasses far more than just being saved from your sins. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so important to know our salvation so we don't get sucked into walking labyrinths, so we don't look other places, so when I feel like we have to know more, have more of this and have more of that. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Again, same theme, same truth, same reality, same principle. What an overwhelming statement. And God is able. He's not unable. God is able to make all grace. And the word literally is Super abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Having all that you need. You see that phrase? Having all that you need. What does that talk about? That talks about the issue of being sufficient. Of being sufficient. In fact, the word translated from the Greek literally means Self-sufficiency. You will have all self-sufficiency. God gives you all self-sufficiency. That's a literal translation of that Greek word in that passage. Literally, to be independent of external circumstances. No matter what happens, no matter what comes into my life, God has resourced my life already that I am able to deal with all of these things. Not just deal with them, but deal with them effectively and deal with them triumphantly. How many would say, thank you, God? Are you with me? As a believer, as a Christian, beloved, you must know that you have within you grace upon grace in Christ abounding to every need of your life. You have it already given to you, abounding to every need of your life, so that you are indeed sufficient always for all things, for all the demands of life made on you. No matter what happens, Christ, has made you sufficient. You know, we look at life and we see all the trials and all the troubles of life. And as we do so, beloved, listen, there is no reason, no reason to imagine, if you're a Christian, no reason to imagine that you are not sufficient. You are not up to it. In your own humanness, you're not. According to your own natural abilities and talents, you're not. But he has given you what? All grace. To superabound to your life. So that you're up to whatever comes into your life. 
triumphant, triumphant Christians. We are more than conquerors. As Paul says in Romans chapter 8. You always have all sufficiency in everything. This is the truth. Why? Why? Why do I have all sufficiency in everything always? Because a generous God has dispensed a super abounding grace which you have not yet even conceived of, let alone used. There are resources, beloved, beloved, there are resources in us that we haven't even begun to understand. A number of you may have read this book. Years ago I read this book, Your God is Too Small. Anybody ever read that book? Your God is Too Small? Sometimes we, you know, we envision our God as being too small or our salvation too small. Because of our own human limitations, we impute to God our own weaknesses and our own human limitations. We see our foolishness and sinfulness and we say, oh, oh, oh how can God probably bless me? God's probably mad at me. He's not happy with me. Beloved, expand your thinking about who God is and what he's done. Let the scriptures speak to your heart and mind. Here it is in these words in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Same principle. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with just a few spiritual blessings in Christ. Is that what it says? No, with what? Every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. He's blessed us with and We have it all. We have it all. Even as I say these words, I know that this is, there's many of you an internal struggle. Have it all? Have it all? I don't feel like I have it all. (laughs) That's not my experience. I keep coming up short. But the truth of the word is what? We have it all. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7. Ephesians 2 verse 7 speaks of the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, beloved, you are the recipient of the incomparable riches of His grace. Incomparable! Chapter 3, verse 17 through 19 in the book of Ephesians. Paul prays. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints. Now notice this, to what? To grasp. He says, I want you to grasp how, how, how wide and how long and how high and deep is what? The love of Christ. I want, it to be, I want you to be able to get your mind around it. The love of Christ. And to know this love. Not just know about it, but to know this love. This incredibly powerful, transforming love that surpasses knowledge. Notice now, he says, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God says, I want you to have all of me. I want you to be filled with the fullness of me. Wow! How many want to be full of the fullness of Him? That's what He wants. That's His purpose. This is what salvation is about. This is what salvation is about. You get weary, don't you? You get weary of Christians wandering around looking for something more. More what? You got it what? You got it all. But people wandering around, 
well, well, I didn't get enough. I, I need another blessing. I need... You got it all. That's what the Bible says. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Again, same principle. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. See to it that no one tells you to walk around a labyrinth. I can't even think of the word anymore. Which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form and you have been given fullness in Christ who is head over every power and authority. You have been given fullness in Him. What did Jesus say in John 10.10? I came, you should have have life and have it to the what? To the full. To the full. In spite of all this revelation about God's amazing generosity, Christians still think somehow, somehow, God hasn't provided for or helped us enough in our life, in our sanctification, or even in our glorification. What does that mean? God hasn't given me enough. I'm having to struggle through life. I'm having to somehow make sure I make it into heaven. I'm having to worry if I'm going to lose my salvation. Beloved, He has given you the fullness of everything. You are sufficient. Your salvation is sufficient even unto your glorification. What's the implication of that? What's the implication of a sufficient salvation unto my glorification? Anybody want to take a guess? Huh? Somebody help me here. What does that mean? I'm sufficient even unto my glorification. What is it? We're saved completely unto my glorification. Forever and ever and ever. You want to be saved? You want to be saved? You want to be saved? Come to Jesus. And He saves you forever and ever and ever. And yet some people actually believe that they can lose their salvation. Because what? They don't understand their salvation. They don't know their salvation. This is the whole point of this passage. Has God given you enough grace to deal with life? Has God given you enough grace to deal with the trials and problems and disappointments and grief of life? Has He? He says He has. It may not be your experience, but it says He has. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. You remember the Apostle Paul? His own testimony. Marvelous things have been revealed to him. Marvelous things. And then he said, to keep me from becoming prideful about these things, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. This is the Apostle Paul. God sends a messenger of Satan to torment him. Three times, he says, I've entreated God to remove this thing from me. Three times, take this thorn from me. And what was God's response? My grace, my grace is sufficient. (gasps) Why? Why is God's grace sufficient? What does he say next? He tells him, he says what? Because 
My power, my strength is perfected in what? Your weakness. How am I going to know His grace? How am I going to know this power? How am I going to know this strength? Unless I'm aware of my neediness. In the midst of my weakness, all that He's given me begins to surface, begins to evidence itself in my life. Does that make sense? Listen to the words of Solomon. Was Solomon wiser than most? Listen to the words of Solomon. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 14. This is a real obscure verse. I just tripped on this verse. Solomon says, I, this is, he says, this is what I know. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Will we agree with that? Everything God does will endure forever. Say that with me. Everything that God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing can be what? Taken from it. Isn't that a great truth? Isn't that marvelous? Tremendous? Whatever God gave you, whatever God gave you, you can't add to it, and you can't diminish it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are we sufficient in Christ, or do we lack resources? Do we need more of Jesus? Do we need more supernatural power? Do we need some kind of human help, some kind of therapy, some kind of psychology beyond the Scriptures? Do we need any of this stuff? Psalm 84, verse 11. No good thing does He withhold from those whose walk is blameless. No good thing. You say, well, why do so many people doubt this? Why do so many people not realize the fullness, the sufficiency that he's given. Three reasons. One reason is because they're not really saved. And if you're not really saved, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are insufficient. You are inadequate. You may just think you're saved, but you're not. You are really insufficient without Christ in your life. The second reason people doubt this is that they're, they're ignorant and they don't know what they have. There are lots of Christians who, who are clueless about this. They've heard these verses a hundred times, but they've never meditated on them. They've never done a study. They've never grasped them. They've never received them. They say, I have all things. Yeah. There are lots of Christians who just don't know what they have. That's why Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, he says, I want the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened so that you'll know the riches of His grace. There isn't a pastor around. There isn't a, there isn't a, 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 a mature Christian around who isn't discipling people who doesn't long for people's eyes to be open, the eyes of their understanding to be open to realize what God has given them. We so easily and so foolishly diminish God and diminish what He has done in our own pride and arrogance. Instead of humbly going, wow, God, you're awesome. You're awesome. And the third reason some people don't experience this is even though they are truly saved, even though they are sufficient, and even though they may be well taught and they know that they're sufficient, they are not walking uprightly. 
quite frankly, they're walking in disobedience. I talked to a husband and a wife yesterday, separately, husband and a wife, who both profess Jesus, and they're both walking in disobedience. Is there any wonder why their marriage isn't flourishing? They're at each other's throats. They're accusing each other. I said, look, I said, I said to the husband, I said, what are you supposed to do? What's your job? What's your role? Love my wife as Christ loved the church. Live with her in an understanding way. Do it! What's your role, dear? Sweetie? Submit. Do it! You can't get any simpler. You want God to bless your marriage? You want to know the fullness that God intends for your marriage? You want to know the fullness that God brings to each other, through each other? Walk in obedience. Just obey. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. If I had a dollar for every time I heard, yeah, but. But for the true Christian, for the true Christian, for the obedient Christian, there is complete, complete self-contained sufficiency in Christ. In Christ. I have every resource necessary already provided and already given to me. Think of it in these terms. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I want you to see these verses. Actually, it's one verse. Verse 32. Paul says this. He, meaning God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Do you see that? Stop right there. Just the first half of the verse. Gave himself, gave him up for us all. Did God spare his own son? No. He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die on a cross for our sins. Amen? True? Now listen. If God didn't spare his own son, which is the most he could give, right? When you care enough, you send the very best. You send the most, right? So if he didn't spare his own son, he gave us the very best. He gave us the most. Now look at the second part of verse 32. Then he says, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us what? All things. Here's his reasoning. If God gave us the most, the sacrifice of his own son, how could we imagine that he would hold back the least, the least being all the good things that the death of Christ has purchased for us? You follow his reasoning? If he gave us the most... Will he not also give us the least? Everything else, everything else is the least in comparison to Christ, isn't it? Will he not also give us what? All things? All the good things? All the fullness of life that Jesus means for us to have? I came that you should have life and have it to the full? Does this make sense? Does this make sense? Some of you are a little dazed. Some of you are going, huh? You say, I, I, all right, I, okay, God gave his best gift, okay, forgave my sin, okay, but 
I don't have the peace. I don't have the this other stuff. What's the matter? No. God, if He gave you the most, He'll also give you the least. He'll give all things to you, beloved. You see, this all of this speaks of the great reality that in Christ we are sufficient. We have a sufficient salvation, sufficient salvation, sufficient salvation. All things. Whatever is necessary. Salvation is not limited. It's not some puny gift. It's comprehensive. Encompasses everything God could give. Everything God could give. Salvation. Matthew chapter 22, verse 4. Jesus tells a parable. He likens the kingdom of God, or salvation, if you will. He likens it to a wedding feast. And why does he liken it to a wedding feast? Because, very simply, at a wedding feast, everything was done lavishly. It speaks of the lavishness. It speaks of the incredible richness and generosity of salvation. When you attended a wedding feast, you're the invited guest. You come and you enjoy the lavishness of this marvelous feast. Salvation. Salvation. Luke chapter 15. The parable of the prodigal son. Remember that? The parable of the prodigal. When the prodigal came home, remember? That's a picture of what? A sinner coming to God? Sinner coming? What did the father do? Look at verses 22 and 23. What did the father do when the sinner came home? What happens in salvation? Is there not a lavishness that happens? Bring out the best robe. Put the ring, the ring. Not any old ring, the ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf. Strike up the music. Let's party, let's celebrate. Lavishness, beloved. Lavishness of salvation. Do you know your salvation? It's not God saying, well, here's salvation, but don't expect more. It's a full-blown, lavish wedding, feast, celebration with everything that God could possibly dispense. Mark this, please. That's how God works. The best of everything. God doesn't go to a garage sale and find some junky stuff to give to you for your wedding feast. He goes shopping at Nordstrom's. He goes shopping at... I don't know, where do, where do people shop these days? The, Saks Fifth Avenue, whatever, you know. Not the 99-cent store. We shop at the 99-cent store, Right? We shop at garage sales. My wife got a beautiful dress for, what? Two... Is that $2 or $1? 
I gave her two dollars this week. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All right. Huh? I love you, darling. We have a great relationship. She was just telling me last night, she says, I have a wonderful life. I said, I know, and I wish I could enjoy it with you. Now, all of that, all of that leads us back to Second Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 3 with me. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Remember, as Peter introduces this letter, he's talking about salvation. The first 11 verses are devoted to knowing our salvation. That's what he's talking about. Being sure, knowing your salvation. Why? Because that is the first place we take our stand against false teaching. If you don't know your salvation, if you don't know what your salvation encompasses, if you don't know what it's about, you're wide open for deception, false teaching of all kinds. And when he starts talking about our salvation, which is where we take our stand, in verse 1 he speaks about the source of our salvation, that was God. Verse 2 he talks about the substance of our salvation, that is what the knowledge of our God and Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And now in verses 3 and 4 he tells us about the sufficiency of our salvation. Now, as we talk about this over this week and next week, I want to point out some words for you. And we're going to look at the first two words this morning. Just some words for you to, to think about, to kind of hang your thoughts on. The first word is power. The first word is power. Notice, His divine power. His divine power. <clears throat> this is the source of our sufficiency. This is the source of it. Whatever sufficiency you and I have, whatever sufficiency has been given us, it is because of supernatural power, divine power, God's power. This is not our own power. This is not human power. This is not natural power. This is not power that's just innate to me as a human being. This is supernatural divine power that has been given to me. Given to me. Given to me. Notice the words. Power given. You see that? So Peter begins with a well-founded assurance. Assurance that in our salvation benefits, the power of God is in full operation. It's the power of God in full operation. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to what? His power at work in us. What power is that? The power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is power, beloved. This is resurrection power at work in us. And it's He who is able to do much more than we ever could imagine or even ask. His divine power, 
the same power that was on display in Jesus, in his life and in his resurrection. The Christian, mark this please, the Christian can never experience a power failure. The Christian can never experience a power failure. You can turn the switch off. You can try to unplug it. But may I suggest to you, the power never fails. The power never fails. It can't because it's God's power. It's God's power. You may want to shut it down. You may want to quench the power, quench the spirit, but the power never fails. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, divine power is given to you. Divine power. The word translated given, by the way, in verse 3, is a compound word in the Greek. It's an interesting word. It's in the perfect tense also in the Greek, which means that God has generally granted, generously granted to us a permanent power. It's not an intermittent power. It's permanent. That's why it's in the perfect tense. It's been given to us permanently. Given to us permanently. Isn't that marvelous? So the first word is what? Power. The second word I want you to think about is provision. Provision. What has his power given? Provision. His power has given provision. What provision? Well, he has given us Everything we need for what? Life and godliness. What an absolute... Look at this. Everything we need for life and godliness. His power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. What an absolutely unbelievable statement, apart from the fact that it's there, there in the Word of God. Wow. Is that true? It's in the Word of God. Unbelievable. Yep, but it's in the Word of God, so that makes it what? Believable. None of us, if we look at our everyday lives, would assume, if you just look at your everyday life, you would assume that you have everything necessary for life and godliness. Isn't that true? Because we what? We stumble around and fumble around so much. We would never assume that we have everything. But there it is. There it is in the Word. Everything. His power has given us what? Everything. Everything. And the word everything, by the way, in the... In the Greek sentence there in verse 3 is in the what's known as the emphatic position. That means because Peter is emphasizing full sufficiency. It's in that first place in the sentence. He's emphasizing sufficiency, full sufficiency. He's given us everything. All things, literally, is the word. Kapanta, all things. We have everything. Related to what? Related to what? Well, first of all, everything pertaining to life. We have everything pertaining to life. Life is the essential reality. Would you agree with me? Is life the essential reality? 
Absolutely. Everything related to life we have. Wow, what a statement. Do we have new life in Christ? Do we have new life in Christ? Do we have new life in Christ? And do we have everything relating to sustaining that new life in Christ? Yeah. He's given us everything we need pertaining to life. So if He's given me new life, and I have everything pertaining to life, then I must also have everything necessary to sustain that life. Does that make sense? To sustain that life. That's why we have to believe that a Christian truly is eternally secure. Why? Because you have everything that pertains to that life, everything necessary to sustain that life. If, that, if I read the word right, everything, tapanta, means all things necessary for life and godliness. So in any difficulty, in any struggle, in any trial of life, beloved, we have everything we need because all we need, we have been given to us by his power. You have it in fullness, you have it in abundance, you have it indeed in perfection, everything. And then he adds, and godliness. Everything, everything I need for life and what? Godliness. Everything you need to be a godly person, you have. Everything you need to be a godly person, you have. Turn to your neighbor and say, you know what? Everything you need to be a godly person, you have. Now turn to him and say, no excuses. No excuses. You have it. You have it. Isn't that great? The Greek word for godliness, translated godliness, is the Greek word eusebia. It means true reverence. True reverence. Literally, reverence in worship and active obedience. You have everything, everything you need, Everything you need, beloved, for worship, to worship God, and to obey Him. Godliness. Godliness. You don't need to be asking for something more. You don't need another experience. You don't need some sign. You don't need a feeling. You have everything. He has given you everything. He has given you everything. You have every, every, every spiritual resource to sustain and perfect that eternal life that is in you and every spiritual resource to manifest that spiritual life in godly conduct. You have everything. You have everything. You're self-contained. You are sufficient in Christ. You are sufficient in Christ. All you need is there. It's never, ever a matter of sufficiency. I don't have, I don't, God hasn't given, yes, he has. Yes, he has. It's there. It's there. The grace that is so powerful to save is equally powerful to sustain and equally powerful to manifest in godly conduct. Do you know your salvation? Do you know yourself? Do you know what it is? Do you know what your salvation encompasses? Do you know how magnificent and glorious and marvelous is your salvation? Can you see why Peter, P, 
Peter says and speaks of our faith as precious. This precious faith. Can you see why Peter can say grace and peace be yours in abundance? Grace for every sin, grace for every trial, grace for every weakness, peace for every difficulty in abundance. Why? Because all that God has given you is sufficient for all things. Every life experience. Note this, please. Every life experience, every life experience is given to us, is given to us as another opportunity to realize His grace and His peace, to realize His resources. Every life experience, to realize. God, take this thorn from me. No, my grace is sufficient. I want you to know my grace. I want you to know my sustaining power. I want you to know my power in you that is going to enable you to stand strong. Every life experience is given to us. These things don't just happen in our life uh, uh, by coincidence or willy-nilly or without purpose or design. The, everything happens. We, we studied First Peter. Everything happens in our life, even the trials and suffering to strengthen us in our faith. He's saying the same thing here. To know your salvation and to know the grace of God, the, the resources of God in our lives. God, I trust you. This hurts. This hurts. But I know, I know that your grace is sufficient. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next time we'll finish verse 3. Shall we pray? So we say, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us everything we need for life in godliness. Lord, I pray that our eyes, the eyes of our understanding, Lord, would grasp these things. Help us to walk away today, walk away this morning, marveling at what you have done and the magnificent salvation you have granted to us by your great power. Thank you, O God. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Shall we praise Him?